Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, I'm not the biggest Fox fan in the world these days for a lot of reasons, but I'm I'm looking at that guy. He just was on TV. Benjamin Hall. Remember him? Benjamin Hall is our international correspondent. He almost died in Ukraine a little over a year ago. I think he got his uh, part of his leg blown off. I think he has a glass eye, but he looks great. He wrote a book about his experiences of his colleagues, uh, Pierre Kalka, fire, uh, one of the cameramen, a producer, killed. They were all in the same car. I don't know if it was bombed or if uh, a missile was fired at it, but that is really cool. He looks amazing, and he's, he's commenting on the world situation right now a little over a year ago. He was uh, man, man, and uh, back back with his family, and um, he's got some nice daughters. I just saw this on TV, you know, when he came out with the book and everything like that. That is nice. All right, let's get back to my grievance about Fox News, though. <laughs> and actually, before the grievance, because we have to make sure that everybody knows about these inc- this incredibly important evidence of Biden family corruption. It is, I think it's indisputable at this point. No one's even disputing it. They're not saying that this is, uh, they're not even trying, oh, this is uh, uh, Russia disinformation. No, <laughs> um, this is, the, there's no evidence of corruption. No, there, no, there, this is evidence, but it's been debunked. No, no, it hasn't. It's unverified. That's what they're, that's what they're resting on. That's what they're hanging it on. Okay, it's unverified. Well, the House Ways and Means Committee and the Internal Revenue Service, Service spent a lot of time verifying this stuff, and I trust them. And in July of 2017, Joe Biden, he's a desperate man because his power is ebbing. It's, 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 it's flowing away from him. What is he in July of 2017? He is an ex-vice president of the United States. And nobody really sees a scenario where he becomes president. He's too old, too dumb, and too corrupt. But, um, man, they felt the power was slipping away, and they wanted it. They wanted it back, and they wanted the money they were promised. This text message sent by Hunter Biden from Delaware, from the compound, from the Biden family compound, and we have no reason to believe that Joe Biden wasn't sitting right next to him, as the text message says. You ready? I think this is important. It is so important, and it's so, well, here we go. I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment has not been fulfilled. He's texting a guy named Henry Zhao, who owns a company called Harvest Moon. He's also David Zhao, a Chinese Communist Party official, and a guy they, <laughs> they've already gotten a million dollars, at least from China, at least, and they want more. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. This is extortion, everybody. And Z, his little nickname for Zhao, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me 
and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here with my father awaiting your call. Wow. Now, this is a big deal. It's incontrovertible. It's there. No one's saying it's. Listen to how Fox News handled this. This is their signature political show yesterday. They didn't read it. They didn't say anything about it. They didn't say who wrote it, and they didn't say who it was to or anything. Didn't mention that Joe Biden was sitting right there, according to the evidence, and we have nothing to actually, we have nothing to dispute that. It was his house, though, by the way, and Hunter was there. May we? Shannon Bream on the Fox News Sunday show. This is, um, do they do they want to protect Biden or what? Do they want to hurt Trump or what? You know, this is a major issue that Trump can exploit. They want it all to go away. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, some other things that the whistleblower brought up, he brought up text messages and things that he said implicated suggestions of other potential issues that needed to be investigated. But he said that he was being stymied um, by the Justice Department during this investigation. Stop. Um, What was suggested? What? Who? She doesn't say. She doesn't say. She thinks you're dumb enough to not find out that we've got to rely on Shannon Bream to tell us. Well, some people actually do look at the TV and want them to tell them everything. And she's not telling them everything. And you got to create, <laughs> there's got to be momentum to this story. And this is why, I think this is why they're not talking. They don't want any momentum. They don't want to hurt Joe. Lesser of two evils, they believe, is Joe Biden. And Donald Trump is the worst possible person in the world, right? It's all lies about him. <laughs> that was a summary of the text message. Can I just hear it again from the top, please? And then here's something interesting. And this happens a lot over there at Fox News and mainstream media. They spend more time on the denial than on the actual allegation. You don't even understand what the allegation is, but they go they go full bore into the denial from uh, the non-denial denial, oh, by the way, from Hunter's attorney. You ready for this? Go ahead. Okay, so uh, some other things that the whistleblower brought up, he brought up text messages and things that he said implicated suggestions of other potential issues that needed to be investigated. But he said that he was being stymied um, by the Justice Department during this investigation. Um, Christopher Clark, who's an attorney for Hunter Biden, says this. Any verifiable words or actions of my client in the midst of a horrible addiction are solely his own and have no connection to anyone in his family. Any suggestion the investigation was not thorough or cut corners or cut my client any slack is preposterous and deeply irresponsible. So, Elizabeth, pushing back hard, reminding folks where Hunter Biden was in the midst of this, but not necessarily denying that these texts and things attributed to him could be legitimate. Uh, pushing back hard on what? Pushing back hard on what? They didn't even say, what is the allegation? You danced around it. You tiptoed around it. You didn't even say who it was from, who it was to, and that the president of the United States may have been in on it sitting right there. And it's preposterous. You put out that it's preposterous that there's um, some sort of intervention here from the <laughs> it's got. Now, listen to this person. And this is what they've been doing for a long time. It's one thing for Joe Biden to do it. It's one thing for a man on the run to invoke this um, addiction thing as a way to find sympathy. He's been doing that for a long time. He did it during the debate with uh, Donald Trump, you know, my son, I'm proud of him. He's kicked a habit and he's working on it like millions of Americans across the country. Um, that's kind of besides the point. And by the way, if your son had such a problem, why the hell was he traveling all over the world? That's the last thing you want to do when you're um, 
when you're a guy like Hunter Biden, right, addicted to drugs and alcohol, roaming the planet unsupervised with cash? Anyway, uh, listen to uh, the panelist here, how they just kind of buy it. They buy it all. This is, again, this is Fox News. They're supposed to be, uh, you know, the vanguard of a conservative thought in America. Ready? Go. Well, I think almost every American family has been unfortunately touched by addiction and the devastation that it can bring. So I, I think that that's an appropriate context to bring in here. But I think overall, the most important principle, both in this case, in the Trump case, um, is that the rule of law should apply. And no one is above the law, whether you're rich or famous, a former president, a son of a current president. Um, no one is above the law and the legal process will continue. And in the Trump case, it will be juries of everyday Americans holding him accountable. And in these other cases with Hunter Biden and others who have um, engaged in wrongdoing and accountability will follow. It should follow according to the rule of law and the principle that no one is above the law. Hunter Biden's above the law. That's the whole point. You know, if Roger Ailes ran that place, I mean, they would, they'd probably call security and get the, these people escorted out of the building. Uh, they, they don't care about much of anything. They care about hair, makeup, money, uh, FaceTime on TV. It's unbelievable. And that's Fox News. I mean, come on, give us something, right? Fox? Because we're not getting it anywhere else. Now, uh, meet the press, the others, they totally ignored it. Now, I expect them at this point to ignore it. It's still unbelievable. It's still criminal. Because what happened on Friday, what happened on Friday in the White House press room was kind of, um, it's kind of interesting, but you got people like the New York Times and NBC News weighing in saying, hey, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> James Rosen uh, had already asked the question, read the text message, all they said is, well, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. And, and, and he leaves the room. So other people join in. The New York Times, Peter Baker, some uh, person from the Washington Post, somebody from CBS, somebody from NBC. And they start asking these questions. Cut 33, please. Curly wouldn't answer James's question, though. Are you going to answer the question? Not a reasonable question to ask with the President of the United States who's involved, as this message seems to suggest in some sort of a coercive conversation for business dealing by a son. Is that something, if he wasn't, then maybe you should tell us. So here's the thing, I, and I appreciate the question. I believe my colleague uh, at the White House Council uh, has answered this question already, has dealt with this, has uh, uh, made it very clear. I just don't have anything to share outside of what my colleagues have shared, uh, and so I would refer you to him and the, D and the DOJ. Just not going to comment from here. I will. All, what I can tell you is, I know that my colleague has dealt with this. He he uh, addressed this at the White House Council. I just don't have anything else to share. I just I just answered the question. I just answered the question. Yes or no? Was the president involved in the shakedown? I just answered. Stephen, Stephen, I just answered the question. I just said. I just. This is. It's not up to you how I answer the question. I just answer the question by telling you my colleagues at the White House Council has dealt with this, and I would refer you to them. Go ahead. Can you just remind us what your colleague said from the White House Council so we have it? I would, I, would, I would refer you to them, and they will share their statement with all of you. My question is about is your anything? statements from that podium. You've stated that the president stands by his comment from the 2020 campaign that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with his son. And you stood at that podium yeah. and you reaffirmed that. Do you stand by your reaffirmation? I, what I will say is nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I will leave it there. Anything else, I will refer you to the White House Council. This is not a change? 
I just answered the question. You asked, you just asked me, do, does my statement change? I just told you nothing has changed. The That's answering the, the question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stephen, I'm calling on your colleague right now. Go ahead. Thank you. To, to follow up on my colleague, is there anything that you can say with regard to this text message and what the president's son was alleging? Was the president there or not? I would refer you to my colleagues at the White House Council. They have addressed this, and I refer you to them. And that's the press conference. She walks out. Now, that may sound like something. Wow, the mainstream media, they're, they're weighing in. They're demanding answers. But it's just a... Um, it's just a way for them to pass the time. I mean, it, it, they never wrote the story. That guy, Peter Baker, who was the first one that you heard there, he's the New York Times, been a political reporter since the 1990s. He said he used the word coercive. It looks like the president of the United States is involved in a coercive attempt here to get money from a foreign adversary. Coercive force. All right. That's a big deal. That same guy was on Meet the Press yesterday. What was he doing? Complaining about Trump. Complaining about Trump. And not a word about this. And this is where they are the enemies of democracy. They are the enemies of the people. Um, look, I'm a partisan. I'm rooting for one side, okay? Uh, but I still actually, <laughs> I, I love to take their allegations against Trump and refute them. But I don't pretend that there are no allegations against Trump. I mean, there are. And I'm an expert, quite frankly, because they're always wrong about him. But when it comes to Biden, they just pretend it didn't happen across the board. Now, MSNBC, no one's really watching that show. Oh, wait, you know what? So, okay, what do we expect? Crummy reporters, right? They have no integrity. Do we expect them to do anything? Not really. But maybe some heavyweight, and I mean heavyweight Republicans, like Chris Christie, who's running for president. I mean, surely he's going to say something former tough guy prosecutor. No. No, he goes on the This Week uh, with David Brinkley show. It's not that call that anymore, but that's what I still call it. And it's all about bashing Trump. Here he is. Take it away, big boy. Cut 28. Trump message. Is there any evidence that, that, that it's resonating? Absolutely evidence is resonating. John, I've been in the, in the race for less than three weeks, and I'm already in third place in New Hampshire, only four points behind Ron DeSantis who's been in the race for a longer time and is supposed to be the co-front runner. Uh, look, um, people understand that folks need to take responsibility for what they do. And my message to the folks at Faith and Freedom, which did get some good reaction, too, but of course I expected the booze that is predominantly a Trump crowd. Um, but it's they like need the to entire hear the truth party too, is, pal. That, you know, character is the single most important element. Of a president of the United States, because you can't know every uh, every issue that's going to come right, across. Stop the right there. What's his name is going to lecture us about character? Chris Christie is going to lecture us about character. Stabs Trump in the front, back. Try just uh, Chris Christie. We know this guy. We know him anyway. We and by we, I mean you, me, your friends. We've got to raise the alarm about this smoking gun proof of Biden family corruption because they're not going to do it for us. And how do we do it? Social media, letters to congressmen, talking amongst your friends. This cannot, they cannot bury it. And they're trying. Be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, 
So Richard Ravitch died. Richard Ravitch, Dick Ravitch. You know him, right? He was the head of the MTA back in the 80s. He had a lot of different government jobs. I liked him a lot. He ran for mayor in 1989, was it? He was one of the Democrats who uh, was lining up against Koch. He came in like fourth, fifth place, but uh, a major heavyweight. You know, he was a heavyweight with political savvy, street smarts, but he also was a bit of a brainiac. I think he went to Yale and um, like this good government guy, but also knew what reality was all about. What else did he do? He was a lieutenant governor for a while. I can't remember under what governor was it. Was it was it Cuomo? I don't know. Um, I know it must have been under uh, David Patterson, actually. Um, anyway, what else to say? Uh, a big life, a big guy. And, uh, I liked him a lot. I, I had dinner with him once. Uh, well, it wasn't really just the two of us at a table of like eight people. Very approachable, very regular. He was known to get into spats with Donald Trump. They both wanted to build, I think, something on, up by Columbia University. And, uh, they, they, that actually, I remember now, Donald Trump called them all kinds of names. And I actually said to Trump on television, I said, you know, because this is back in 2012, I say, Mr. Trump, Donald, you know, if you're going to be president of the United States, you can't be talking like this. You can't be, you know, he he, he called him a dumb, dumb and a silly person and all this stuff. And I'm like, you can't say that about a guy named Richard Ravitch. I mean, you know, come on, you can't do that when you're president of the United States. And I remember what Trump said. Well, you know, Greg, I happen to be a very smart person. And I went to the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, and I I know what I'm doing. And uh, however, Greg, if I do become president, I will probably tone it down a lot. And if I don't, you got to call me and say, Donald, you got to tone it down. I swear to God, word for word, that's what happened. I, I'll, I'll find the tape. It was on the Good Day New York show. And uh, I got to tell you, Trump, uh, well, he knew a hell of a lot more than I did. Okay, first of all, he knew a hell of a lot more about Richard Ravage. It's one thing to talk to somebody at a dinner party. Another to uh, you know go to war with somebody over zoning issues. And um, let's face it, when you got the whole world coming at you and the whole swamp coming at you, the, um, the name calling, the calling people out, it actually works. It actually is necessary. Yeah, I've come to realize that. Anyway, Richard Ravage, rest in peace, 89 years old. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, on Friday, Friday's June 30th, next week's 4th of July, the, the year is halfway over at the end of this week. It is six months down, six months to go. It's going incredibly fast. Wow. Uh, it's raining now pretty hard, and uh, they say it could hail. We could have hailstorms later i it, hail has been explained to me a million times i still never ever ever understand how even on a hot day there could be ice coming from the sky i just i i, I don't get it <laughs> it happens i've been in a hailstorm i've seen it in new york it's 
It's pretty wild. Golf ball size hail. Uh, it's, it's just one of those freaks of nature, huh? Hey. Oh yeah, we have this. Um, my, my daughter is going on a great big trip with her grandparents, uh, on the other side, on my wife's side. Okay. So, uh, some misgivings about that. They're going to take care of her amazingly, but it's a big two week trip. And they're going to be on a cruise. I get nervous. I, I've never been on a cruise. I'm falling through the railing. Anyway, they're going to take really good care of her. And here she is last night. She's uh, wanted me to read Cinderella three times, four times, again, again, again. So I started quizzing her about what the heck we were reading. Okay, let's go ahead. Who is it? It's the fairy godmother. The fairy godmother. What's going on here? Huh? Hmm? <laughs> What? Look, now. What is it? It's a, it's a, it's a pink strap. And who gave it to her? Huh. Who is that? And he, the, the fairy. Fairy, the fairy godmother. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's that. She knows who the fairy godmother is. At first it was giving her some, who is that, who is that, who is that? It's the fairy godmother, who is very much like, I think it's a, it's all, what's the word, metaphorical or, uh, and the fairy godmother represents God, I think, because, uh, Cinderella was suffering. I mean, my goodness. Have you ever actually read that? I hadn't, I've been watching it on TV. There's a cartoon version that came out in the 1950s and she was in an abusive home. They were abusing the hell out of Cinderella, the stepsisters, uh, the sadistic stepsisters, the stepmother. And uh, but God recognized everything that was happening, and can make major corrections like that. So I think that's what was happening. You know, can you tell me what the hell's going on in Russia with this uh, group and Putin? Um, one thing I do know: half of Russia is drunk, and that's one of their big problems. I'm serious. The alcoholism in Russia is like nowhere else in the world. It's getting worse here in America, but it's uh, I think they are the tops, and it. It, it shows like it shows in Ukraine, their invasion of Ukraine, totally botched. I mean, was Putin drunk when he made this guy Shoigu? His name is Shoigu, and he's like the secretary of defense of Russia. And he's some guy who was never even in the military. But they give him a uniform. He's making all these decisions about, you know, where to put tanks. He doesn't know a damn thing. And then, so apparently this other guy, who's also friends with Putin, but maybe not so much anymore, uh, Prigozhin or something like that? Prigozhin? Is that his name? Prigozhin. And guess what he does? He, he, he has all those mercenaries. He's wearing a uniform. He's got a gun. He's 61 years old. He's running around in the woods. He's mad as hell at the Russian troops. What's his job? He's a caterer. He's a restaurant chef. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I mean, not a meritocracy. We're becoming like that, oh, by the way. It's not, you know, what you know. It's who you know. You know what I mean? Dorothy, hello. Dorothy is back. Hi. Hi. How are you, Greg? Um, I was wondering why Congress doesn't call Tony Bobulinski in, who actually met with Joe Biden. Damn good question. Where the hell's Tony Bobulinski? He told this story to Tucker Carlson. Uh, I played it a million times myself on this show. I know. And uh, Tony Bobulinski, legitimate businessman, and he was horrified by what the what the Bidens were doing. Yeah, where's Tony? And I mean, I think he's got to get his story out there officially on the record in in congressional record. You can't just tell Tucker Carlson and call it a career. I mean, he's got dynamite stuff. Why don't they call it? You know, part of it is this. I mean, for whatever reason, they're conflicted. 
House Republicans are conflicted about all this. There are some good guys and they're making progress, but they've got a boss and the boss's name is Kevin McCarthy. And I think, you know, Kevin has to go up to the White House and work with Joe Biden from time to time. And he doesn't want that happening. He doesn't want these guys hanging around with Bob Alinsky and others who believe that Joe Biden's a criminal. So I think it's just just my sense looking at everything that uh, Kevin McCarthy is kind of slow walking things in his own way. It could be wrong, but this this stuff should have more teeth. This stuff should have more um, greater legs. And even the House Ways and Means Committee, I hear them saying, well, what we're doing is we want all this information so we can come up with better legislation to prevent this from happening again. You know what? I want impeachment. I want articles of impeachment Uh, for Garland, for maybe for Biden. Yeah, definitely for Biden. This is the, the, the bribery, high crimes and misdemeanor. You better believe it, Dorothy. Thank you for reminding us about about Tony Bobolinsky. Tony Bobolinsky sounds like a hockey player who's actually a very talented wrestler in uh, high school and college. Sandra, welcome back. Hi. Hi, Greg. Hi, Greg. Um, you know, I was, you know, reading the newspaper, and I, I was very upset about 65% of teenagers are targets of extortion schemes by criminals seeking to pressure their victims into sexual activity. They take money from these kids. They find them on game sites. They find them on dating apps. Did you say sixty-five percent of children are yes. targeted by for sextortion? Sextortion, like we've got these nude pictures of you, and we're going to release them on the internet if you don't give us uh, whatever we want, money, right? It, I can't be right. that high. It can't be sixty-five percent of all children. It just can't be. That. I mean, maybe some what of teenage. They said that sixty-five percent of teenagers are targets of. What you just said, Man, I don't think it's that high. I just, I just don't think it's that high. It's, it's, it's a problem. It's huge. But um, let's see here. Where'd you get that? What's the publication? I don't. I'm, I'm not calling fake news, but I'm, it's, it sounds too high. Oh, uh, it's called Snapchat Parent Company Snap Inc. Published by Wet Protect Global Alliance. All right. Oh, well, I don't know. I, it's not that high. It's not maybe globally. I, I no, it's not that high. Sixty five percent of teens are being sextorted. I mean, no, no. But sextortion is a real thing, and they hack into your cloud. Uh, by the way, another question is: How is it that so many teens are vulnerable to sextortion? Right. I mean, that means uh, they've got pictures or you know text messages or whatever, right? That they don't want out there. But it would suggest that the teens are doing it in the first place. And I'm not, I mean, it's just the world we live in. I mean, they, they used to pass notes in the classroom, right? Remember, that was considered risque. Uh, I remember one kid from two towns over snuck a penthouse magazine into school. And we heard about it. <laughs> I mean, like, 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 and now it's click, 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 click. It's like the second date before the date. People are taking pictures of themselves. And can you imagine what we're, Imagine the equivalent, you know, if you grew up without a cell phone like I did, what you would have to do to to send uh, somebody a picture of yourself. You'd have to, um, well, you'd have to take the picture with a mirror, I suppose. You'd have to go get it developed, right? So some stranger would see it. Then you have to put it in the mail and put a stamp on it and, and put their address on it. And now it all happens in microseconds. Microseconds, Sandra. It is a scary situation, really. I should move. 
I just played you my daughter with the, the, the Cinderella. I mean, all these things are going to be confronted. It's all from that dumb phone. Although the phone is an amazing device and can let you know if you're dying and can, and it has enhanced life for many people as well. All right, Sandra, 65%. I, it's a problem, but I don't think that's the right number. I'm going to check with the World Global Alliance or whatever that thing is. Okay. 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 All right. Robert on Long Island. Welcome back. Hi, Greg. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. This is probably unrelated to what you're talking about today, but there was a heinous story about three, four days ago in which um, somebody stabbed a uh, 17-year-old dog on the Upper West Side of 109th Street. There was an altercation. The guy yeah. had three pit bulls, and the story just got dropped, and I wanted to know if you would kindly pick up the story and see where it led, and was this guy prosecuted? Uh, I don't know. What does the newspaper say? I don't uh, – yeah, he stabbed the dog. It's crazy. You'd be surprised how many animals are shot in New York. I mean, you hear about this one, but a surprisingly high number of animals are shot every year. And uh, you know who probably knows about this? Curtis. All right, Curtis is all over the uh, animals, a great champion of uh, of people and animals. Thank you, Robert. We'll check it out. Hey, um, Donald Trump at the Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference. This is the same one that where they booed Chris Christie. Uh, but he was fantastic, and it's so amazing to to the believers out there. And something like this can happen. You know, the last person in the world they thought would be their ally turns out that he is their greatest champion, and the great champion for religious freedom. Um, he he is the one more than anybody else, more than George W. Bush, more than George H. W. Bush, more than you know the the, the Christian Coalition, more than Jerry Falwell and all those people. This guy made it so that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I think, by the way, I'm totally fine with the states making the decision, right? It's up to the states, and I can live with that. You know, I may be I may be pro, um, uh, pro-life, but it's not going to happen in New York. And some people, like, you know, I was talking about running for mayor. Well, you have to be pro-life, and you have to run as a Republican. I don't actually think so. Number one, it's outside the purview of the mayor, and it's not changing. But anyway, Donald Trump cut one. This whole world is on fire. This world is on fire. Before I... This whole world is on fire. What's going on? This world is on fire. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office, I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine totally settled. I'll have it done in 24 hours. I say that, and I would do that. That's easy compared to some of the things. I'd get that done in 24 hours. I know them both. I know them both. As the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. See that? I will be your, and I will be your peacemaker. I was your peacemaker. (laughs) Pretty damned awesome. And it's true. I do actually think that he can approach the problem in Ukraine, uh, between Ukraine and Russia. He's already planning to sit down with them planning for it. And what does he do? He's very careful about his statements. Doesn't antagonize people unnecessarily. If you start calling Putin a war criminal, this, that, and the other thing may feel good, may give you all kinds of uh, cred uh, with the deep state, but it's going to make it very hard one day to talk peace. Know what I mean? Cut two, please. Today, I'm announcing a new plan to protect the integrity of our immigration system. Federal law prohibits the entry of communists and totalitarians into the United States. 
But my question is, what do we do with the ones that are already here that grew up in it? I think we have to pass a new law for them. Using federal law in Section 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act, I will order my government to deny entry to all communists and all Marxists. Hey, man, I have no problem with that either. You have to sign up for American values. You do. I heard some people say, that's outrageous. You can't know you can. You absolutely can. To become a citizen, you've got to support our values. Look at that oath. Look at the oath of citizenship. And anybody who uh, does the things that you have to do to become a citizen, and you got to jump through some hoops, and you have to swear allegiance. You don't have to do that if you're born here. It's one of the reasons why I really respect legal immigrants, no matter where the hell they're from. The greatest moment of the 2020 convention when he had all those people. I think somebody was from Bolivia, somebody was from Bangladesh, somebody was from Nigeria, and they're beautifully taking the oath of citizenship where they swear to take up arms for America if called upon. Meanwhile, Tony Blinken is the Secretary of State. What a nervous nilly this guy is. My goodness gracious. Such a wimp. And uh, does he do this thing with the question mark everything? Uh, cut six. Uh, Margaret, this is an unfolding story, and I think uh, we're in the midst of a moving picture. We haven't seen we haven't seen the last act. We're watching it very closely and carefully. But just step back for a second and put this in in context. Sixteen months ago, Russian forces were on uh, the doorstep of Kiev in Ukraine, thinking they'd take the city in a matter of days, thinking they would erase Ukraine from the map as an independent country. Now, over this weekend, uh, they've had to defend Moscow, Russia's mm-hmm. capital, against mercenaries of Putin's own making. Uh, Prigozhin himself uh, in this entire incident has raised profound questions about the very premises for Russia's aggression against Ukraine in the first place, saying that Ukraine or NATO did not pose a threat to Russia, which is part of Putin's narrative. Two weeks, two weeks, stop, 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 stop. Uh, Too much explaining, too much. He is, uh, and then they asked him, do you believe that uh, President Xi of China is a dictator? Humana, 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 humana. I got to find that clip. It's amazing. Uh, CNN, he did not see that question coming. Humana, 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 humana. Give me a moment, please. I'll find it. Greg Kelly. Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, what's this uh, deal with uh, banning the pizza oven, certain type of pizza ovens, uh, uh, everybody loves pizza. I try to avoid it these days. It puts you to sleep. It's so heavy. And, um, but, uh, I, it's, it's great in New York. People talk about, oh, the best pizza in New York. I think it's basically a tie. I, oh, I've never had a bad piece of pizza in New York. But anyway, James Flippin, what the hell's going on with the pizza ovens? Hey, Greg. So, yeah, I mean, basically, this is kind of similar to a news story we covered earlier this year where as part of the New York budget, they made it so that new construction in New York City, won't be able to have gas ovens, you know, gas heating, gas ovens. It's all got to go electric. There's concern about climate change, putting emissions out into the air, all this kind of stuff. Some people have said asthma is a concern if you cook inside with gas ovens. Now, number one, these are all bogus concerns. I mean, that's my take on this. This is totally ludicrous. And there's some political agenda here other than the green stuff, which they can make a lot of money on. But I haven't figured out exactly what the hell's behind this. I don't think even the people who passed it, it's certainly not about the environment, but keep going. What's interesting is it's actually a big impact on the restaurant industry, especially because some of these high-end restaurants say we won't open if we can't have our gas burners in there because they feel it's important to the way they cook, the way that they cook, the way they prepare food. 
requires those gas ovens. So take that for what it is. But now New York City pizzerias are in the crosshairs, as you referred to, because big changes may be in order. This is, again, to crack down on carbon emissions. But it's the New York Post reporting that the city's Department of Environmental Protection, the DEP, looking at new rules that would require eateries to cut carbon emissions by up to 75%. So if a pizza joint uses like an older, either coal-fired or wood-fired ovens, and some people use that just specifically because they like the way it makes the pizza taste, they'd have to put in expensive emission control devices. All right, wait. When I go to the pizza place, and I'll just go to a random pizza place, I don't real. I'm not finicky. You know what I mean? I don't look at the reviews. I just go in, order, and then uh, what kind of oven do they have? Most of the time, I think it's probably gas-powered. It's like a... You sure? It's big and hot and metal, and uh, that's what I know. And you know what kind of frustrates me a little bit? They put the piece of pizza in there. You say, I'll have that piece of pizza, mm-hmm. and then they got to warm it up. Right. right? <laughs> they always put it in. Like yeah. I feel like it should be on a warming plate. It should be warm all the time. Well, you can ask it for the way... I mean, I used to work in a pizzeria. You could just ask for it as is. They don't have to eat it up for you. Well, I mean, I want it... Warm. I just feel like when they take it, and by the way, then they they often make it too hot. That is true. So burn uh, the roof of your mouth. With oh, the wait, wait, wait a second. You worked in a pizzeria, so what kind of oven is that? Well, the pizzeria that I worked at was just a. I think it was either electric or gas. I mean, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't wood fired or coal fired. That's like a specific thing in a way. That's an electric oven for the most part, right? Those are electric ovens. I think I don't see any flames in there. I don't see anything, uh, but so. All right, so it's not – I'm thinking it's not going to affect most pizzerias, right? Probably not. All right, well, that's good. But then again, they're just thinking about it. But then again, that's what they do. They float these kooky ideas. Right. And three months later, you know, they're voting on it in Albany. You know, all the and the eyes have it. And it would stand to reason that if they're going to go for the coal and wood-fired ovens, that soon – They'll come for the other ovens as well. Well, the other, but the coal and the wood fire, that's like gourmet pizza. That's like California Pizza Kitchen. Those are the people who invented putting pineapple on the pizza, which is stupid. That's a Canadian thing, by the way. Did you know that? California Pizza Kitchen? Uh, the pineapple on pizza. That's like a, a guy in Toronto invented that. Well, it's, it it's Hawaiian. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, and you know, I, you know, the weirdest thing in the world. Hey, by the way, I love small businesses and I think it's called Grimaldi's and you guys know what you're doing. Fantastic. More power to you. But I would never, ever, ever wait online for a silly, I'm sorry, Grimaldi's for any piece of pizza. That's what's fair. Up, what's up with that line? I think it's probably a lot of tourists that say, oh, this is the best pizza ever. You have to have it. And who's that guy who does the pizza reviews as if the pizza, pizza is pizza. From Barstool? Yeah, him. Dave Portnoy. And like, uh, those are the most overrated, silly things. I mean, really, what, 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 I don't know. I, he's having fun. Right. He never really shows you the pizza close up, too. Do you ever notice that? Uh, I think I have noticed that. Yeah, it, definitely no close up. It's sort of him standing far away eating the slice. And these are like the, this is, this is the mega viral guy. It's the height of content. Um, hmm. well, anyway, James. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Richard Ravitch is dead. 89. Good long life. What can you say? Right. We'll have him in the newscast coming up here. You will? Mm-hmm. You know what? You, do you have him, what, what his voice sounds like? I don't. It's actually Governor Hochul, I think. we uh, got to get it because he had this good, classic, raspy-type voice. I'm going to help you with that, all right? Okay. I'm going to find it. All right. Thank you, James, Thank and you. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, 
think I have to revoke my uh, my support, my previously stated support of gay marriage. I don't know. I think it's unleashed a lot of um, terrible things in America. Um, there's something about it that I think, quite frankly, uh, civil unions, it should have been the way. And um, now this kind of talk will get you into trouble today. If you, uh, how dare you? And this is, uh, but it unleashed a lot of negative things. I've gone through this before. You know, do you realize people used to say LGB community, LGB community, lesbian, bisexual, gay community. Now, once gay marriage was achieved 10 years ago today, oh, by the way, apparently the Supreme Court ruled, um, there's this massive lobbying group um, for, I guess, I don't want to say for gay people. I think it's something a bit broader than that, but it's called Human Rights Campaign. And it's like when the dog catches the bus, you know, when you, when you finally achieve what you thought you wanted, now what? Well, maybe you disband. Maybe you say, okay, let's call it, uh, let's call it a career. Let's call it a foundation. We, we achieved what we wanted, but then they had to find another victim and then it became LGBT and the T's out there, right? Seem pretty obsessed with children. I mean, now we can all see it. All right. There is a major, major thrust. They want to get at the kids. Um, Dennis Levine, Denise Levine, whatever the hell her name is, his name, the Health and Human Services Deputy Secretary, right? Dr. Rachel Levine, in, uh, sitting around interviewing some teenager about sex and putting it on the Internet. It's crazy. And Pride, uh, the Pride Month, right? It used to be Pride Day, then Pride Week, now Pride Month, now Pride Year, pretty soon. All hail, all worship the pride flag. And did you see some of the stuff that went down over the weekend? You know, this thing used to be, the pride event in New York, used to be kind of like respectful and moderate. They're, now they are, they are performing vulgar, lewd acts in front of children. And they're owning it. They're absolutely owning it, some of these people. The, the chant is, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Doesn't even rhyme, oh, by the way, you jerks. Uh, now, it's funny. I think this is hate speech, right? This is kind of a threat. Maybe we could have arrested them for that. Seriously. This is the rawest version of hate speech. And it happened over the weekend. Cut 27, please. <laughs> Arrest them all. I mean, stop. How are you going to make good on that? You're really coming for the kids? What are you doing? We're seeing it all around us, by the way. The drag queens going into the schools. The attorney general of the state of New York showing up at a drag time story hour with children. What the hell are those freaks? What are they doing around kids? And yes, look, if you want to dress up in different clothes and you're 18 and up of the other gender, fantastic. Throw a party downtown. I might even show up. But what the hell is the fixation on the kids? This is where it's dangerous. This is where it's evil. No doubt about it. And we have now city-funded drag time story hours. Oh, Greg, that's a silly cultural issue. We have much more important, really more important than our kids. 
You know how many people are actually signing up with this nonsense, this uh, transgender thing? Children actually saying, maybe I am, uh, maybe I am in the wrong body. Maybe I should uh, take those pu- puberty blockers. Maybe I should grow breasts. Maybe I should have my breasts removed. Social contagion. This is becoming a thing. It affects about point zero 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 one percent of the population. Gender dysphoria. Now we're making it cool and a ticket to status and everything that comes with that. More power, more protection. It is insane where we've come. It is absolutely insane, this moment. And, yeah, I would have to say, I think the gay gay marriage may have had something to do with it. You know, I saw something amazing over the weekend. Uh, it's a Twitter site called Enwokeness. And it was a picture from 1955. And it had a beautiful family coming out of church. And uh, mother, father, son, and daughter, right? And you know what they were wearing? Their Sunday best. And suits and little dresses for the kids and the moms all dressed up, right? Sunday best. You don't even hear that phrase anymore, Sunday best. What does that mean? Everybody goes around in pajamas all the time, Sunday best. Well, you used to wear your best clothes to church, right? And then on the other side, they had it side by side with a bunch of Parents and children, some babies, some four, some ten, some seven, some six. And what were they doing? Watching a drag show. Watching a man dressed as a woman perform lewd acts in front of the kids. And they're all delighted. They're all delighted. Um, You know, there are Republicans out there who are pushing this stuff. Republicans. That Nicole Wallace, whatever her name is on uh, MSNBC, she loves this stuff. And she thinks, oh, wow, how, how, how primitive of the Republican Party to come out against this. How, pri- how unenlightened, how unsophisticated, how uncool. Can I hear that one more time? And maybe we should file a police report. Cut 27, please. Now, somebody's trying to tell me here, I'm seeing online, oh, they don't really mean it. They're just being ironic. What? I mean, they are coming for the kids. That That is happening. Uh, <laughs> this is not uh, some rhetorical trick. It's actually going down. And, you know, yeah, now I'm uh, not so down with gay marriage. And uh, you can put me right there with Barack Obama, his position on gay marriage. May we hear, please? Barack Obama over the years on gay marriage back when he was running for the Senate, back when he was running for president. These are the kinds of things he used to say. With respect to marriage, it's my belief that uh, it's up to the individual denominations to make a decision uh, as to whether they want to recognize marriage or not. Keep going, please. With marriage, I, I do not support uh, gay marriage, but I support a very strong version of civil unions uh, where I think the state has to recognize the same rights and responsibilities for gay people, same-sex couples, as they do for anybody else. Because the state is not a religious institution, and I believe in equal, uh, equal protection under the law, and so making sure that... You know, the right to transfer property, hospital visitation, uh, you know, non-discrimination. All those principles apply to same-sex couples, I think, is important. But you don't call it Define. marriage. You don't call it marriage. It's a civil union. It's a civil union. It's like getting a driver's license. What happened next? Is that it? Huh. 
Barack, Barack Obama, back when he was trying to charm people. Hey, do you know who Peter Schweitzer is? He's a great author and researcher. I think he's the head of the Government Accountability Institute. Um, I've talked to him a number of times. I've read his book, uh, Clinton Cash, and then he did something like a, about the Democrats. So I'll look up the title. I, from him, I learned all about – it's funny. I finished the book like two days before Kamala Harris was nominated by Joe Biden to be vice president. So I knew all about her uh, record of uh, non-accomplishments, okay? Never did anything other than be Willie Brown's uh, companion. Willie Brown's companion. Talk about sleeping your way to the top. I'm sorry, but it happened. You can look it up. It's there. Now, Willie was married to a woman that he wasn't quite that into. Willie Brown was a very, very powerful and smart and shrewd. And he still is, I guess. He's still alive out there in California. He was the um, speaker of the state assembly. He was, uh, and then he did this as an ego trip because that was where the real juice was. And then he wanted to be the mayor of San Francisco. And then he becomes uh, the boyfriend of Kamala Harris. And he puts her on this commission. And then he sets it up that she can run for the district attorney of San Francisco. And then he sets it up that she can run for attorney general of the state of California. It's just all arranged. I mean, how do you think that goofy person got there, Kamala Harris, on on, on legal ability, on smarts? Uh, no. So he uh, he he spelled all that out about her and a lot of other Democrats and, and her and Joe and and the rest. Here he is talking about the uh, the latest thing in this text message from Hunter to Henry Zhao with his dad in the room. Cut twenty five, please, Peter Schweitzer. Henry Zhao in 2015 had already sent $5 million to the Bidens. Uh, he was the head of a harvest investment firm. Uh, and what's interesting is in the correspondence there, Hunter Biden again talked to Zhao in the context of this is a deal that's important to my family uh, involving his father. Let's also keep in mind we fixate on the criminal element of this. We also have to focus on the espionage element of this. Henry Zhao paid $5 million to Hunter Biden from an account that was part of a company that he co-owned with the family of the Minister of State Security of China, who's in charge of the entire spy apparatus. And you see that in every deal that Hunter Biden did in China, these individuals that are sending him money have ties to Chinese intelligence. I think that was Maria Bartiromo, who is like the, the great, big, bright, shining light over there at Fox. Because a lot of people are not truth tellers over there. She is. She's amazing. Uh, and I think there's probably, uh, I, I, I don't know. I hope uh, something tells me it's not the most hospitable place on earth, but who knows um, for the truth tellers. And here's something else interesting from Peter Schweitzer about uh, <laughs> the cell phone habits of Joe Biden. Cut 24. Uh, breaking news on a cell phone that Joe Biden was using. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. What is the line of communications between Hunter Biden and his business partners and Joe Biden when he's vice president of the United States? It's not the government phone. It's not Joe Biden's personal phone. We know from the laptop that 
Hunter Biden's business paid for a private phone line that Joe Biden used while he was vice president. It was from AT&T. It was $300 a month. It was a global phone where you could access somebody anywhere around the world. Uh, we shared that phone number and that account information with people at the House Oversight Committee. My hope is that, that they haven't already. They will subpoena those records because I think it will give an indication on how tight the communication was. Uh, and that may be the phone for example, that the Ukrainian, the Burisma executive might have used uh, in this allegation uh, that he talked to Joe Biden in re- recorded conversations. All right. Wow. He talks pretty fast there, but uh, you get the gist, right? Uh, a burner phone, a global burner phone. I once had one of those, by the way. A th- they called it a Thoraya, a global satellite phone. I had one when I was in Iraq in the desert I mean, where there weren't uh, many cell towers around. Hey, this is a, a real issue, um, obviously, and the media know it. They do. And here's a quick, well, here's evidence of that. And Chuck Todd knows it, yet when he's doing his, uh, when he's slumming it during the weekday, he's got the Meet the Press Daily Show. That's when they can talk, when no one's watching. And this is how they sound when no, is wa- when no one is watching. Cut 32. Monica, one place to start, I, I, has there been any thought of either... Hunter Biden or the or through Hunter Biden's lawyer that he say whether or not um, those phone calls and text messages that are quoted by him that when he referred to his father, he was. Do we know whether his father was actually in the room? No. And I asked Corrine Jean-Pierre that exact question as well. I said, can you state definitively whether on July 30th, 2017, that text message you're referring to Mm -hmm. that was referred to by the IRS whistleblower, uh, again, somebody under sworn testimony, a former government official who is alleging this, whether she could speak to that in the White House. And specifically, Corrine Jean-Pierre told me, I have not spoken to the president about that. I asked her, do you plan to? Can you get us that answer? And she said, Chuck, no, I don't plan to speak to him about this, and I don't plan to address this from the podium. And that's why you're having other folks in the White House, like from oversight and investigations, having to address this from a different way, but certainly not on camera and not at the podium, which in many ways creates more questions about this issue. It sure does, right, Chuck? I mean, you can say that on a Friday afternoon when no one's watching, and then you get your signature show, the episode yesterday, Meet the Press, Sunday edition. That's your bread and butter, at least for the next six weeks. And it begs more questions. Why didn't you ask any? You didn't ask one damn question about this stuff. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, if we let them win on this uh, pizza oven thing, we're getting very, very close. It's going to happen all at once, all right? All it uh, all of a sudden, all at once, many years in the making, but then it all happens. You know, they're telling you that you can't drive a car or you have to drive one of their, a car that they'll choose for you with some ridiculously big battery. Um, they'll determine it. Stay the hell out of it. Governor Hochul. Somebody told me she looks like a chipmunk. I'm not sure about that, but maybe. She also looks a little bit like just somebody who, kind of an airhead, who hangs around the beauty parlor all day long. Sorry, but, you know, and there's something about people who spend a bit too much time grooming men and women. I've seen I've seen men do this. Eric Adams is another prime example. A little bit too much time uh, on the shirt and tie and all that crap, uh, on the uh, you know, the physique, and not enough time, well, 
making it happen for the people to really work hard. You know, you, you know what you do when you're working hard. You're up all night. You're eating crummy. You know, I understand you. People got to take care of yourself and that kind of thing. But there's a difference between taking care of yourself and vanity. And that's what I see it. And that's what they want. They want the attention. They want the money. They want, uh, adulation. They want access, uh, public service. Nobody even talks about public service anymore. Public service. Do you, do you even, is that even a phrase? Do people say public service out loud? Firefighters and police officers, yes, but for various state assemblymen, I don't think so. Uh, Jeremy in New York, yes, hello. No, 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 Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah, hi. Yeah, it's me. Hi. Hi. Uh, Mr. Cowan, I have a question to you, and you can explain your answer. Are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm having Kelly. second thoughts about the whole proposition, but okay, what's up? What? My question to you is, why you said that some of the white people call people who are not white like myself, people of color, as if white is not a part of the color spectrum? Mm. Could you explain that? I don't know, man. And things come in and out of fashion, you know? It's the thing that people say now, people of color, all right? I mean, at one point, forgive me, it was colored people, right? You don't say that anymore. That's not considered politically correct, and I'm fine. Look. That's the, that's the, uh, the the people, uh, uh, Mr. Jeremy, hold on a second. Now, you, I don't know what your ethnicity is. You said, you alluded to it. I don't know, but this is, uh, I don't have a problem with people of color refer to people of color. Oh, by the way, it's not just a white thing, like you said. I don't know how these things are dictated or where they come from. I do remember that, you know, black used to be lowercase b and now it's uppercase b. I uh, do remember when white was just a color. Now it's a pejorative. You got a beef with people of color, Jeremy? I am. Uh, you, you got a beef with the phrase? All right. You'll keep me in suspense. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I thought I saw all of the uh, best Kamala Harris bloopers, but uh, somehow I missed this one. Somebody over the weekend told me, and they, whenever they listen to it, it puts them in a good mood. And I watched it. I'm like, man, this is this is really bad, even for Kamala. And it is kind of funny. Here she is trying to make some point about something, and it's a one wild and silly ride. Go ahead. Today is today. And yesterday was today yesterday. Tomorrow will be today, tomorrow. So live today. So the future today will be as the past today, as it is tomorrow. Today is today. There's something wrong with her, obviously. I mean, that, that, that she is on something. You can see it. I think she needs help. I think she needs help, and we all should help her. You know, it's amazing. Look, she becomes the vice president of the United States. And poor Richard Ravitch, dead at the age of 89, great New Yorker, great uh, public servant, public servant. Uh, let's listen to Richard Ravitch. Go ahead. It's Richard Ravitch on, I think, Channel 13 a while back. Uh, Coming up on New York Now, former Lieutenant Governor Richard Ravitch reflects back on his time in public service. 
when I was chairman of the MTA, Ed used to go on television and he'd say, if you don't like the subways, don't blame me, blame Rabbit. Right. Uh, and then we'd go have a Chinese dinner that night somewhere. And every time I had a problem, I needed him to make a call to somebody in Washington or somebody in Albany. I'd call him at the mansion at night and he made the phone call. And we'll have the reporters' like roundtable. Tough guy. And uh, you could get things done. You know, yeah, they pick on each other in public. It was kind of a sport. But uh, at the end of the day, they uh, they moved. And they got things done. Now, he did betray. Well, I don't know if you call it a betrayal. But in 1989, Richard Ravitch, I do remember this vividly. A lot of Democrats thought that uh, three terms was enough for Ed Koch. And uh, they lined up to run against him. Let's see. There was uh, Carol Bellamy. Remember that person? Uh, who else? Harrison Golden. Remember him? Was the controller for a while? These used to be huge names. Who else ran? David Dinkins. And he won. Got the got the nomination from an incumbent uh, sitting mayor. Quite an achievement. And then beat Rudy Giuliani, barely, in the uh, general election. And Richard Ravitch, who uh, came in, uh, you know, distant, distant uh, fourth or fifth place. Um, so, yeah, elected politics wasn't his thing, but appointed politics. He had some big jobs, and I, I think he did a pretty solid job. One of those guys who kind of made the world run, and I liked him a lot. Seemed like a great guy. Um, and with that, uh, let's see what the hell. Uh, excuse me. Let's see what's on Rick's mind. Hello, Rick. Hey, how you doing? Um, I wanted to uh, tell you, give you some of the science facts about the CO2 scam, the global warming scam. But I also wanted to mention to you the LGBTQ movement and the global warming thing both attack the children. You notice that they're teaching them this stuff in school. And the result is I've seen children leave comments on YouTube under Bill Nye videos, and they say, I don't want to have kids when I grow up because the planet will be uninhabitable. You know, a lot of kids said a lot of stupid things when we were kids, right? I mean, you remember, I don't know how old you are, but, I mean, Woodstock. You ever watching a documentary about Woodstock? I mean, they were doing all kinds. They wanted to live on communes forever. And they became the, uh, you know, the baby boomers, the, the, mid, the people in their mid-70s right now. They don't seem to be particularly woke to me, right? That was Woodstock, the, the generation that wanted to... Uh, Drop acid and check out. So I think there's they're going to snap out of this. I hope. I hope. But you never know because it does seem like it's coming from the government. It is coming from the government. You know, back then, they were defying the government. Now they're all going along with what the government wants. I guess it is uh, far scarier. Oh, what's the other thing, Rick? Well, the CO2 thing is this. Um, everything they told us basically is a lie. CO2 does create some warming, but it's a weak greenhouse gas. Water vapor is much stronger, and it makes up 95% of all greenhouse gases. So water vapor controls the greenhouse gas, I mean the greenhouse effect. The greenhouse effect does not control the temperature of the earth. So CO2 is pretty much meaningless, but it's a tool to control everything on the planet, your car, your stove, your heat in your house, everything you use. And they can also, I mean, basically in the future, they could regulate how many kids you could have by saying they're CO2 producing machines and you can only make, you know, only have two kids and make so much CO2. Yeah, I know that whole thing about the carbon footprint, the carbon footprint. Uh, well, anyway, man, you really know your stuff. Thanks for calling. Um, CO2, greenhouse effect. Uh, 
Yes, I think it's uh, we've been we've been delivered a lot of fake news. We have, um, and I don't trust them. I don't trust. Them. I don't trust Al Gore. Al Gore flipped his lid a couple of years ago. Al Gore at one point was uh, a moderate, somewhat sensible guy, but they all went crazy. Hey, um, talk about somebody who went crazy, and there's nothing sensible about him. I'm talking about Mike Pence. Yeah, I am. Mike Pence. Mike Pence. The whole January 6th thing could have been avoided if he just, well, he could have. He had some options, okay? We thought he had options under the Electoral Count Act of 1887. He thought he did not. Okay, I get that. You can say that. You can have that position. You should have told the world that you weren't going to do anything on, J- on January 6th. You knew it. You told everybody in your book. You told your daughter on the way to the Capitol, like, my gosh, those people are going to be so disappointed because the Constitution requires that I just stand there and not do anything with these fraudulent electoral votes. I just have to count them. And now listen to this guy. Cut 15, please. Cut 15. It's too premature to talk about possibly president um, pardoning President Trump. There's been no trial that assumes that he would be convicted. Right. If he was, would you or would you not entertain a pardon for him? Should you be president? Well, look, if I, if I had the great privilege of being president of the United States, um, I, I would take the pardon authority very seriously. You know, I've been a governor. Uh, I've actually granted pardons uh, to people. And there's a very careful process for evaluating that. And and. And and uh, and I would I would apply that to every single case in that matter. But I, I appreciate you raising the point. I, I don't understand why some of the other people running uh, for president in the Republican primary uh, assume that the president will be found guilty. I, I think it's it, I think it's terribly premature uh, and, it, and it shows really a disrespect for our judicial system to talk about that now. I, I think, uh, look, the, the, the charges in the indictment are serious, and uh, I can't defend what is alleged, but the president's entitled to his day in court. Well, and you're I, one crummy if lawyer if you can't defend forward, what's alleged. Let the former president uh, make his case. And for my part, I'm going to stay focused on the challenges facing the American people. Yeah, you stay focused on being in fifth house. place. Uh, not just to win the Republican nomination. But to win a great victory for our party and for the American people. Give me a break. Someone's got to tell this guy to give it up. All right. You went through that 49 page indictment and you think it was serious. You really think that? Well, number one, he's a crummy lawyer. He's a crummy candidate. He'd be a crummy president. (laughs) You can't you can't figure out whether you should pardon this guy. He's being railroaded. He's being and the same thing could happen to you. It's amazing that he goes on these silly shows and they don't ask him about all the classified stuff he had in his own house. He did. Everybody forgets. He had stuff in his lake house, post-vice presidency. After swearing up and down that we handled those documents with the utmost respect and care. And it would be inconceivable to me. So, <clears throat> bad president, uh, bad presidential candidate. I don't know. I'd like to, one of these days, get the real scoop from uh, Trump about what he was like behind the scenes. Was he helpful? Was he not helpful? Did he just stand there? Uh, he seems so wooden and, 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 and the opposite of nimble. I don't think he can, uh, I don't, th- no, he's, he's just not designed to be, um, a president or a vice president. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was great. I don't know. Uh, hi, Ron. You're in Lindbrook. Yes. Yes. Hi. How are you today? Um, so I should take you off of uh, speaker. Am I okay? Yeah. Why don't you do that? Okay, that's bad. So, 
Um, about all of these things doing with uh, our uh, President Trump and the current president and Biden, um, how they uh, treat each case differently. And um, But where I look for the things like dereliction of duty and uh, the pursuit of justice. Uh, all right. What's up, pal? Come on. Well, all of this comes about with where is the judicial misconduct and the public confidence in the rule of law? Why isn't it that we don't have some oversight that immediately comes down on their backs and says, hey, you can't do it like this? Yeah, this I know. Actual- I, look, I mean, we're supposed to we got the Judiciary Committee. We got a Senate Judiciary Committee. We got a House Judiciary Committee. And you know what the Department of Justice does? Uh, gives them the middle finger. All right. The FBI blows them off. It's incredible. And the media, you know, the fourth estate, you know, the protectors of democracy. Give me a break. Um, you raise some interesting points. I mean, look, it's supposed to be the people are in charge. How many times do I have to hear about the independent men and women of the Justice Department as if that's a good thing? They work for us. That They think they're above the people. They think they're above a president. No, they're not. Actually, I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. Anyway, Ron, yeah, I'm with you, I think. Um, they are, they just think they're above it. It's a deep state thing. 109,000 people work at the Department of Justice. 3,000 of them are politically appointed. So they don't answer to me. They don't answer to you. Um, and they're going to be there before a president gets there. They're going to be there after a president gets there. And they think they're more important. And you know what they sometimes do? They threaten to uh, quit. They threaten to resign. They use that as a weapon. They use that as a as a weapon. It's an anti-Democrat weapon. Anyway, Ron, you're in Lindbrook in the five towns. Is that where you are? Uh, close to it. Yeah, close to it. Uh, it's, it's without all the extra money, but it's a pretty good town and uh, has its own police uh, department. That people love it. Uh, police get there within a minute. And so they like the uh, they're old school here in Lindbrook. Uh, they don't fool around. Do you um, remember when the plane crashed into the telephone wires in Lindbrook? Oh gosh, that's a that's a long time ago. That's not that long ago. It's a couple of years ago, and the, the damn plane crashed right into the telephone wires and ha- like 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 got tangled in the telephone wires. It's amazing. A little Cessna, and I think the guy made it out okay. Trying to land at Kennedy, and it was very very foggy. Fog is um, the enemy of a pilot if they don't know how to fly off their instruments. Just ask, well, you can't ask them anymore, John F. Kennedy Jr. That's We're coming up on the uh, anniversary of that, by the way. It's been, uh, when was that? That was July, that was July of 1999. He was a good guy. Hey, you know who I really like is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. More and more and more. And could it be a dream ticket? Trump RFK in 24? I'd vote for that. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, there's uh, one show, one TV show I keep tabs on, and it's an easy show to keep tabs on. It's not like there are millions of seasons i got to watch. Sex in the City. And why do I watch that? Because, um, I don't know. Uh, So once in a blue moon, I can carry on a conversation in Manhattan with women, okay? I mean, because they, they, they just love this show. And um, and now it's totally, unbelievably stupid and woke. Um, and the other night I saw a scene where 
they got this guy. He's a uh, very uh, what's his name? What's his real name? Christopher Jackson is that his name? Uh, he was in Hamilton. He's an actor. Happens to be black, and uh, in the show, he's basically really cool guy, great family, uh, rich, and may run for mayor. And they show him he's in a suit and tie, and he's on Park Avenue, and he's trying to hail a cab. And all the cabs go by him, and he's getting really frustrated. And then finally a cab stops at a red light, and he goes, and he's pounding on the thing. Hey, let me into the cab. Let me into the cab. And um, the white cab driver won't even look at him, right, won't let him in. And the whole message is racism, racism, racism. Now, in the history of New York, I don't think that's ever happened, actually. I don't know. Uh, I know this. I take a cab just about every day these days because I don't want to take the subway. I think I had a white cab driver once two years ago. Maybe. All right. See, these are all people of color. All. All. 99.999. I had a guy. No, I did not. And that's a, um, you know, since the white people are possibly the bottom of the barrel (laughs) in American society right now, right? You can make false charges of racism against white people just for being being their selves, white supremacy. Anyway, it was a, a really offensive and totally an out-of-towner's take on what New York is like. And Barack Obama, oh, by the way, did the same thing. Because people would question how black he was. They would. He wrote about it himself. You know, well, I'm... The uh, the white people thought he was black, but the black people thought he was white. And it's just he had no home and he decided to go all in. He had to pick one. And anyway, he was up there and somebody said, you know, are you white or black? And well, when I go to Manhattan, I know I'm black whenever I try to hail a cab. And of course, there's a round of applause. That's not New York. And that's not reality either. It's not. How many people do you know who've ever been to jail? who've actually gone to prison. I sat here and I made a list. I know personally seven people who have gone to prison. Like not people from the news, people I know, neighbors, um, uh, people I knew in the Marine Corps. I uh, Four people from my hometown who live close to me right, went to jail for various, usually financial crimes, tax evasion. Tax evasion is a big one. <laughs> So I know seven people, and I'm going through a list here of all these folks that you've heard of who have gone to jail for tax evasion, felony conviction. Wesley Snipes, sentenced to three years for failure to pay taxes, served two and a half years in a federal prison. Remember Wesley Snipes, the actor? Daryl Strawberry pleaded guilty in 1995 to tax evasion, served three months in prison and three months house arrest. Lauren Hill of the Fugees, sentenced to three months for failure to pay $1.8 million in taxes from 2005 to 2007. Richard Hatch, who's that? He won Survivor, season one. 51 months in jail for failure to report over a million dollars in earnings from 2000 to 2001. People go to jail for this stuff all the time. Hunter's not going to jail. He's not even getting a felony conviction. We know he cheated on his taxes. We know he did a hell of a lot more. This is uh, this deal totally and completely stinks and that the media are giving him a pass again more than a pat. They're not even going there. They're pretending it did not happen. 
It is insane. It is totally un-American. Joyce, hello. Please give me a little extra time. I don't know why I waited so long. Hey, Joyce, uh, you're going to, Joyce, sorry. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you want to call back tomorrow? Because I don't have that much time. Through this again. This is mind-blowing. Hey, Joyce, what are you, what are you talking about? It's mind-blowing. I'm, what I'm going to tell you. Um, I watch this, I'm Catholic, but I watch other denominations on Sunday, right? There's a show, and I have to tell you the name because I don't have time to go into the preface. Um, at 9.30, it's on for a half hour. It's the Jewish Jesus. I'm watching the show, and he quotes a proverb. I can't explain to you how it works, but I'll give you the synopsis real quick. He, oh my God, I'm out of breath. Joyce, calm he, down and tell me what this is all about. Uh... When they were knocking down the temple, how can I make it short? There was somebody who would warn that the tribes, the Amazonites and the other six tribes, were coming to knock down the stones. There was somebody in between that warned them. The name of the people, that, the men that, that would warn them, were called the Trumpeteers. The Trumpeteers? The tr- isn't that ironic? Oh, I like it. Is- his last name is Trump, and he always says, I'm the only way, one standing in the way. They're coming for you. And that, and I, my mind was blown, Greg. Yeah. What proverb is it? You don't, you don't remember? What? What proverb? It's in the, it's in the proverbs, right? Word trumpeteers. Trumpeteers. All right. I'll look it up in the Bible. All right, Joyce. That's, uh, that's good. All right. But get a hold of yourself, okay? But well, it, because I had a feeling the name Trump, the last trumpet they call in the Bible, they talk about the the last trumpet, things of that nature. Okay. Well, listen, we know that God's in charge of everything, and this would not have happened without God's approval, without God, you're right? He, 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 he's running the show. Yes, we have free will, but he's running the show, and I have, uh, I'm not surprised, Joyce, that there's a biblical indication of uh, somebody coming by the name of Trump. And um, but that is interesting. Do me a favor. Call back tomorrow when we have more time. And uh, I'm sorry, Barbara. Hello. Hi. Hi, Greg. It occurs to me as more and more goes on in Washington, D.C., that we continue to live in the fairy tale of the emperor's new clothes. We are told not to believe what we see with our eyes. We are told we dare not comment on it. And yet in the fairy tale, it's a young child whose voice comes out and says the emperor has new clothes. But look what we're doing to our children, what you were just talking about. What we're showing our children is the new normal, and it's good, and it's good for them, and their parents are... And it's not. Oh, Barbara, I'm so sorry. We'll talk again tomorrow. To be continued, everybody.